Good evening. It's time for another bedtime story with Thompson. We're reading The Oregon Trail by Francis Parkman, and this is Chapter 11, Hunting the Wild Buffalo. As we continued eastward, the plain before us was alive with thousands of buffalo, bulls, cows, and calves. Far off beyond the river, they darkened the swelling prairie to the horizon. In many parts, they were crowded so thickly together that in the distance, their rounded backs presented a surface of unbroken black. Elsewhere, the buffalo were more scattered, and here and there rose little columns of dust where some of them were rolling on the ground. We could see them rushing against each other and hear the clattering of their horns and their hoarse bellowing. With such a sight before us, only one thought could be on our minds, so Quincy and I rode down on them. Over the next few days, we brought back many a buffalo tail to the party as a token of victory in the chase, and we roasted many a tasty tongue and juicy hump rib over our fire. We did so well on the hunt that we decided to camp in one place long enough to dry all the meat we would need for our journey to the frontier, a journey we estimated might take a month. We pitched our tent by the side of the river. If the broad sand beds with a scanty stream of water flowing here and there along their surface deserve to be honored with the name of river. It was Delorier's task to cut the fresh meat into thin, broad sheets for drying, an art in which he had all the skill of an Indian squaw. Soon cords of rawhide were stretched around the camp, and the meat was hung upon them to dry in the sunshine and pure air of the prairie. We kept Delorier's well supplied with buffalo meat, since our frequent practice in the two methods used in buffalo, hunting buffalo had added to our skill. The first method, method was the chase on horseback, which goes by the name of running. This is the more violent and dashing of the two, especially when the buffalo are in one of their wild moods. Otherwise, it is a tame enough method. An experienced and skillful hunter, well-mounted, will sometimes kill five or six cows in a single chase as he loads his gun again and again and rushes through the scrambling herd. With a bold and well-trained horse, the hunter may ride so close to the beast that as they gallop side by side, he may touch them. This is not dangerous, so long as the buffalo remains strong. But when the buffalo tires and can no longer run with ease, and when his tongue hangs out and the foam flies from his jaws, then the hunter had better keep a respectful distance, for the troubled brute may turn upon him at any instant. The horse then leaps aside, and the hunter has need of a good grip on his saddle, for if he is thrown to the ground, farewell, hunter. The chief difficulty in running buffalo is that of loading the gun or pistol at full gallop. To make the job easier, many hunters carry three or four bullets in their mouth. The bows and arrows which the Indians use in running buffalo have many advantages over firearms, and many white men do use them. The second method of buffalo hunting, approaching, is practiced on foot. The hunter using this method does not risk his horse breaking a leg in one of the prairie dog burrows, and thus does not endanger his own life. But the hunter must be cool, collected, and watchful. He must understand the buffalo, observe the features of the country and the course of the wind, and be well skilled in using his rifle. Buffalo are strange animals. Sometimes they are so stupid that a man may walk up to them in full sight on the open prairie and even shoot several of them before the rest will think it necessary to retreat. And at another moment, they will be so shy and wary that in order to approach them, the utmost skill, experience, and judgment are required. Kit Carson, the famous hunter and guide, is, I believe, unmatched in running buffalo. In approaching, Henry Chatillon is the champion. Henry had studied the buffalo as a, as a scholar studies his books, and with as much pleasure. The buffalo were, in a sense, companions to him, and, as he said, he never felt alone when they were about him. 
Twice a day, at sunrise and noon, the buffalo came from the hills to drink at the river near our camp. We would crouch under the river bank about 20 yards from the point where the well-worn buffalo path entered the water. We would hear the heavy, monotonous tread of the approaching bull. An enormous black head would be thrust out, the horns just visible amid the mass of tangled mane. He would clumsily make his way across the sand, his great shaggy back slowly swaying to and fro and bend his head to drink. As the water gurgled down his huge throat, we would noiselessly cock our rifle and sight him along our barrels. We would aim at a small bare spot just behind the point of his shoulder. This was our target. Lightly and delicately, our fingers would press the trigger. Crack! Instantly, in the middle of the bare spot, a small red dot would appear. The buffalo would shiver. He would not fall, but rather walk heavily forward as if nothing had happened. Yet before he went far out upon the sand, he would stop and totter. His knees would bend under him, and his head would sink forward to the ground. Then his whole vast body would sway to one side and roll over on the sand, and he would die without a noticeable struggle. Ambushing the buffalo in this way when they came to drink was the easiest way to hunt them. We could also approach them by crawling up ravines, or behind hills, or even over the open prairie often an easy task, but at other times it required the utmost skill of the most experienced hunter. Henry Chatelon was a man of remarkable strength and daring, but I have seen him return to camp quite worn out from his efforts, his arms and legs scratched and wounded, and his buckskin garments stuck full of the thorns among which he had been crawling. On our second day at this camp, Henry went out for an afternoon hunt. Quincy and I remained behind, but when we saw some bulls approaching the water on the other side of the river, we got our rifles, bullet pouches, and powder horns. Then we set off to attack them. Nowhere was the water more than two feet deep, and we were almost across when the bulls saw us and began to move off swiftly. I climbed up the bank and ran after them. I was almost within gunshot distance when they slowly wheeled around towards me. Before they had turned far enough to see me, I fell flat on my face. The bulls stood and stared at the strange object in the grass. Then they turned away and walked on as before. I rose and ran once more in pursuit. Again, they wheeled around and again I fell flat. After repeating this three or four times, I managed to get a shot off from 100 yards at the largest buffalo I had ever seen, and I killed him. Meanwhile, what had been an almost empty prairie when I began the chase was now thronged with a great multitude of buffalo. A heavy, dark column stretched to the right and left as far as I could see. Soon I began to hear at a distance on the left the sharp blasts of a rifle again and again, again and again. Moving low and then crawling along the ground, I followed the sound. I had not gone far when, to my astonishment, I saw Henry standing erect upon the prairie almost surrounded by the buffalo. He was at home. Quite unaware that anyone was looking at him, Henry stood at the full height of his tall figure, one hand resting on his side and the other arm leaning carelessly on the muzzle of his rifle. His eye ranged over the buffalo. Now and then he would select a cow that suited him, level his rifle, and shoot her dead. The buffalo paid as little attention to him as if he were just another buffalo. Some bulls bellowed and butted at each other, some rolled about in the dust. A group of buffalo would gather about the carcass of a dead cow, sniffing at her wounds. Now and then some old bull would face towards Henry with an air of stupid amazement, but none seemed inclined to attack or run away from him. For some time I lay there, looking in surprise at this extraordinary sight. Finally, I crawled cautiously forward, and in a low voice spoke Henry's name. He turned, saw me, and said quietly, Get up and come on. And that's all we have time for tonight. Good night. Good night.